But this conversation that we're in is very fascinating, and it's right where some people are at because all we're doing is this. We're opening the doorway to some questions that people have about or for God. Some of those questions are questions that keep people from wanting to become a Christian. And so we're just opening those doorways, walking in the room of that question, so to speak, and exploring it with some intellectual honesty, integrity, and hopefully respect. And so some of the questions we're going to look at is the question of suffering. You know, if God's powerful and he's all-loving, why in the world is there so much evil and suffering? Fair question. We're going to look at the question of hell. I get asked this question a lot. Dan, do you really believe there's a hell? And if there is a hell, do you really believe God sends people there? That's a great question, right? I think it's a valid question. So we thought, why not run right into the deep end of that question, right? We're going to look at the question of hypocrisy, and you're like, what in the world's that? Well, the question of hypocrisy goes like this, that a lot of people, and some of you in the room, have been hurt by church. You look at church history, and it's been the instrument of injustice far too often. And so it causes people to say, you know, I believe in God. I have a problem with the church. Do I really need the church? How can I know which church to trust? Questions like that. They're good questions. And so we're just going to look at them. And the last question we're going to look at in this conversation together is the question of authority. And here's what I know. In this room, all of us have an authority in our life. Every last one of us in this room have something that is an authority in our life. It speaks into our life to give us direction. It's what we're banking our life on. For the follower of Christ, they say, well, the Bible is kind of that in my life, but it begs a question that people ask. It's like, well, how do I know I can trust the Bible? Is it relevant? How do I read it? Stuff like that. So we're going to run right into that. Here's what we've said. As we open all of those doors to all of those questions, they all lead to the same hallway, and that's the hallway of doubt. Every last one of us at one time or another have had doubts, me included, doubts about and for God. And so that's what we looked at last week. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you. I'd get online, check that out. Because we just kind of ran right into the idea of, okay, what do I do with my doubts? How do I make sense of my doubts? Because I have some doubts. But here's what I want to do this morning. This morning, I want to open a door to a question that I think is one of the major objections people have for and about God that are hang-ups for them as to why they don't want to become a Christian. I think in our culture, this is one of the biggest hang-ups. In fact, as I'm looking out a room this size, it might be your hang-up with God. It might be the very thing, the hurdle you can't get over. And here's what I would call it. I would say it's the question of exclusivity. It's the question, I say like, what is that? Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. The question of exclusivity goes like this. Dan, you mean to tell me that you believe Jesus is the only way? Like like in this culture we live in, Dan, you mean to tell me that you believe that there's only one way to heaven? Isn't that naive? Isn't that intolerant? Isn't that arrogant? Isn't it divisive, right? And why can't we all be right, right? Why can't we all be right or at least partially right? Maybe everybody's kind of sort of right and and, and they hold a part of a truth that's part of a bigger truth. I mean, doesn't that seem a bit naive to think that somehow you have the only way that is the right way? It's the question of exclusivity. That sentiment is found in a 24-year-old woman living in Manhattan. And here's what she said, and it represents the question. She said, how could there be just one faith? It's arrogant to say your religion is superior and then try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all religions are good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers. 
And I would say that objection kind of sums up the objection people have when it comes to even Christianity is this idea of exclusivity. I have a hard time believing there is one way. Is that really what Christianity teaches? So we got to dig into this a minute, right? We got to dig into it and we got to just be honest. And and here's what I want to do this morning. You ready? Look here a second. Two parts to what I want to do this morning. The first part that I want to spend time uh, leaning into this morning is just going to say, we got to dig in and say, okay, what is the message of Christianity? What does it really say? Like, am I reading this thing right? I mean, what does the message of Christianity say? And so let's just kind of be honest and, and, and really dig in and say, what is the message of Christianity? Then the second part, here's what I want to do. I want to honestly run into three objections people have about the message of Christianity. And I want to just massage them and talk about them and say, okay, how do we make sense of this? Make sense? So, so let's start by digging into this. Does Christianity claim that it is the only way to God, the only way to heaven? Well, in order for us to answer that question, we got to lean into Jesus, right? <clears throat> right? He's the leader of this whole thing. As we lean into Jesus, we go to John 14, which you have laid open in your lap. And in John 14, Jesus is talking And he's talking in an intimate atmosphere to his followers, to his disciples. In fact, if you want to make sense of your Bible, John 13 to John 17 is him having this little conversation in the upper room right before they're getting ready to kill him. And in one of those conversation pieces, he says this to his 12, his intimate gathering. (laughs) He says, y'all don't need to let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And then he says this. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. To which Thomas, we talked about him last week, right? If you were here last week, we know him as what? Doubting Thomas, right? So he's like, what? And so he voices what maybe others are thinking. Thomas says to Jesus, uh, Lord, we really don't know where you're going, and so how can we know the way, right? To which Jesus gives a fascinating answer in verse 6. Jesus answered Thomas, and subsequently all those in the room, and subsequently all of us. Jesus answered Thomas and said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What's the point of what he's saying? I want you to to, to think about this. There is no way for you and I to twist what Jesus is saying here to make it more politically correct or culturally palatable. Here's what Jesus is saying, okay? The message, I want you to write this down. We'll make sense of it. The message of Christianity is exclusive. It is exclusive. What do you mean by that, Dan? Simply put, Jesus doesn't claim to be a way. Jesus claimed to be the way. He claimed to be the way, not a way among many other ways. And quite frankly, eventually it got him killed, (laughs) right? It got him killed. But, But what I find fascinating is Jesus said, I'm not just a way among many ways. I am the way. It's exclusive. He never claimed, he never gave that option. I'm a way you can choose among many ways. I'm a path among many paths that you can choose. He said, I'm the way. Now, whether you agree with that or not, I just want you to know what Jesus said. Okay? 
I don't want us to be fuzzy about it. Even if you don't agree with that today, you're like, I'm not a Christ follower. I think it's good for us to be clear, right? He said, I am the way. In fact, let's take it a step further. His followers or his disciples were so sure of that, that once Jesus is off the scene, they started this thing called the church, and one of the main spokesmen, Pastor Peter, was preaching, and he healed this dude, and, and then it got him in some trouble, and so it led him to have a conversation in Acts 4 that went like this. He said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He says, Jesus is the stone y'all rejected, but he's become the cornerstone. Now look at this next part. Peter seemed to understand what Jesus was saying because that salvation is found in what? No one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter's like, I totally understood what Jesus was saying. It's not like, hey, you know, salvation is found in Jesus among other people. He's like, it's found in no one else. There's no other name. In fact, if you read on in the book of Acts, there's this guy named Paul. And Paul, when he was instructing a young pastor whose name was Timothy, says this, this is good and pleases God our Savior. By the way, that God wants all people to be saved. Look here a second before we read further. Some of you came in here with a misconception about God, that he's angry, that he's mean, that he's looking to to just whack people over the head. And that's the perception that, that maybe you have of God. And here's what this is saying, that God our Savior wants all people to be saved, to come to knowledge of the truth. And then he says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. You say, what's the point? Here's the point. The point is, if, if you're like, what does Christianity teach? Jesus was clear about it. I am the way. Peter, main spokesman of the church, says salvation's found in no one else. Paul, guy who wrote more books in the New Testament, anyway, says there is one mediator between God and man. In fact, if you really look at the story of the church, something interesting happened. Something interesting happened. I, I just love this stuff. But if you read the story of the church in, in the Roman world, the Roman world was pluralistic. Here's what that means. You can forget that. But it means that they would capture, overtake a territory, and they thought the best way to, to ensure peace in their empire was to let those people in that territory worship their own god. And, and, and they, they, they just had one, one rule, and that was this. Nobody could declare their god was supreme to all the other gods. So their main problem with Christianity was they said Jesus was the only way. But when Rome went and captured a territory, they said, yeah, all the gods equal and, and we can just have peace and it's just inclusive like that, right? And so they created, go back in your history a little bit, they created this thing, some of you might recognize this term called the pantheon. And the Pantheon had the emblem of Caesar on it. And in the Pantheon, they had all these statues of all these gods, And it was to illustrate all of us can exist together in perfect peace. Nobody's claiming their gods above another god under Caesar's rule, so to speak, right? Well, as you go on in church history, this is fascinating to me. Later in the first century, one of the emperors whose name is Severus, he said this. He said, we've been persecuting Christians for way too long. It's time for us to invite them to have a seat at the table. Sounds good, right? So he... he, he, reaches out to the Christians, and he's like, y'all, we're going to put a statue of Jesus in the Pantheon. Now, now, 
look here, stop for a minute. Just think about that. You've been under this immense persecution and all of a sudden the emperor, the one with the, the ultimate rule says, equal representation for y'all Christians. I'm gonna give you a seat in Congress, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna put a statue of Jesus in the Pantheon. You know the Christians did? They protested and they said, don't put a statue of Jesus in the Pantheon even if it means you keep persecuting us. Why? Because we believe he's not a Lord among lords, equal with lords, but he is the Lord of lords. <laughs> it's interesting. You see, whether you agree with that or not, I want to be perfectly clear that Jesus affirmed it, said it, didn't mumble about it, that Peter got it, preached it, that Paul taught a young pastor, Timothy, and and, and the the early church was so convicted of it that even facing possible persecution, they said, we will not make Jesus a God among many gods because those who are followers of Christ believe all of history is racing towards a moment that Philippians 2 talks about where it says at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, here's what I want you to get. The message of Christianity, which is called the gospel, is exclusive. But it begs another question. Here's the question. Stay, we just got to be honest about this. The question it begs, and I get this a lot. Well, Dan, aren't religions basically all the same? There's little tweaks here and there, right? I mean, really, when you boil it down, they're just all the same. They just kind of say it different. Well, here's what I would say to that. <clears throat> First, if that's the question you have, great question. Like, I think that's a valid, good question. And if that's your question, I I would first encourage you to go on our website, run back several months. We did a series called What's the Difference? And so we just looked at some religion, and we just tried to honestly and respectfully say, okay, what's the difference? But here's the deal. If that's my question, it just shows that maybe I, I have a misunderstanding of those different religions because the other major religions beyond Christianity don't make that an option either. They, none of them would say, hey, you know, we're basically all the same. They're different. We're different. In fact, those who would adhere to atheism when it comes to the afterlife would say there is no afterlife, right? So when somebody dies, you just cease to exist. But those who are Buddhist, they're like, if I want to get to nirvana, this, this afterlife, this beautiful heavenly kind of uh, environment and, and existence, then I got to follow the eightfold path and that's what's going to get me there. Hindus, on the other hand, they said, man, if I want to experience that, I got to somehow break free of this cycle of reincarnation. How do I do that? I got to get rid of all the bad karma in my life. How do I do that? Well, I got to do the right things to appease the gods. Islam, on the other hand, they're like, man, if you want to get to heaven, make sure your good outweighs your bad. Jehovah's Witness say, hey, if you're not lucky enough to be one of the 144,000, then you hope that somehow your faith gives you the opportunity to work for God's good grace. Here's the point. All religions are not the same, nor do they claim to be the same. That's not even fair to the other major religions. That's not even fair to them. But something that I want you to know this morning, and I want to show you this, but the message of Christianity is unique to all the other major religions. It's unique to all the other major religions in its content. You're saying, Dan, right, fair, how, how's that? 
It's just one of the other religions. Well, let's go back to what Jesus said. Jesus answered, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What in the world is Jesus saying? I want you to write it this way. Jesus, in this particular verse, doesn't point to the way, but Jesus claims he is the way. This makes Christianity different than all the other major religions. You see, the other major religions point out a way for you to get to God. Christianity and the gospel, Jesus says, no, I'm the way. Other major religions say, obey whatever their rule is, obey the scriptures, whatever they are, to be accepted by God. Stay with me on this. Christianity, the gospel says, no, I obey not to be accepted by God, but because I am accepted by God through Christ. The other major religions give me a way to get to God. The gospel, Christianity, says this is how God made his way to you. The other major religions give us good advice. Like, there's probably some good advice in there. But, but Christianity is about something called the gospel, and that's good news. You see, they're different. And, and Christianity is unique. And it begs the question, well, then what's, what's the gospel? What's this unique message? Listen close. I'll say it in, in two minutes or less. But the gospel in a nutshell, I, every week we try to make sure the gospel in a nutshell is that God showed up on planet Earth with skin on. That's Christmas. Christmas is God with us. He showed up. He grew up, became a man, taught, did incredible miracles and all that. But that wasn't the point of his life. They eventually killed him on a cross. That's Easter. What's the point of that? That this God with us is now God in place of us. When he died, he wasn't the victim of some atrocious crime. It was God laying down his life in our place. Why? Because I couldn't save myself. So when he died, he died for my sin in my place. They said it buried him in a borrowed tomb. He rose again three days later. And then eventually he took off. Now what? Well, basically the story of the gospel is this God with us who's in place of us says that for all who will say yes to Jesus, place their faith and trust in Jesus, now the Holy Spirit of God lives inside. That's God inside of us. Well, where's all this lead to? Well, Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm coming back. That's God coming to rescue us. That's the gospel. That's what makes Christianity unique, that God came and lived with us, that God was in place of us, took our place on the cross, that when we say yes to Jesus, he resides within, and he's coming back. You see, the message of Christianity is unique. It's exclusive. There's one more thing, and I want you to write this down. The message of Christianity is inclusive. It's inclusive. In one of the most famous, famous parts of the Bible, Jesus is talking to a really religious guy whose name is Nicodemus. And this is what he says. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, there's the key word, that whoever, that whoever, say it out loud with me, that whoever, some of you learned it, whosoever, that's cool, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, this is, this is a mind blower because this will go right against the grain of some of our understanding of God. 
God didn't send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. For some of us, that's the way we look at God. He's just out to condemn and whap and be a cosmic drill sergeant. No, but to save the world. And then he says, whoever, whosoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever, whosoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, here's the way I would say this. The message of Christianity is inclusive. There is only one way, but all are invited. There's only one way, but all are invited. When you read the story of Jesus, here's what you find. He took this message, his life, and you see him taking it to both the churched and the unchurched, to the moral and the immoral, to the young, to the old, to the Jew, to the Gentile, to the rich, to the poor, to the men, to the women. It was for all. It was inclusive. Whosoever will. And when you read about the early church, they took that same exclusive message to an inclusive audience. Listen close. The message of Christianity in the gospel is the most exclusive, unique, inclusive message on the planet. One way, all are invited. There's not a way, but he is the way, and it's not about principles. It's about a person. That's the message of Christianity. That's the story of the gospel. Look here a second. Let's just be honest. And that's what rubs some people the wrong way. Let's just be honest about it. In our culture, we live in a pluralistic culture. And that message rubs people the wrong way. Maybe it rubs you the wrong way this morning. Because it's like... Really, why can't we all be right? I mean, it's a culture that the motto is kind of, the only thing certain is there's nothing certain, right? It's a motto that says intolerance, we have no room for, but tolerance is king. It's a motto that says, as long as you're sincere, it really doesn't matter what you believe. And so the message of Christianity causes some people to bristle. Listen close, I'm going to tell you something that might shock some of you. It's not only a message that causes people in our culture to bristle, but it causes many churches to bristle. Like, what? Yeah. Like, I will tell you that there are many churches that would walk away from that message and say, you know something, that just sounds crazy. Just preach love. If you just preach love, 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 we can walk away from that. There are well-known celebrity pastors of some huge churches in our country that would not say what I just said. You know why? Because it might not draw a crowd. I would rather say Jesus is a way, not the way. And yet I want to be clear because I love you that, that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus give us the liberty to come up with our own gospel that we prefer. Right? We don't get a chance to rewrite this thing. And so I don't even feel a need to do that. It is an exclusive message. It is inclusive, whosoever, and it is unique to every other religion. In fact, a guy named William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, said something interesting in the 1940s. He said, the gospel is true always and everywhere, or it's not a gospel at all, nor true at all. I like how he says it. It's just kind of like, it's either true or it's not. So it kind of raises several objections and as I look in a room like this I'm like some of you probably have these I don't know 
I just want to cover three of them. And so if you want to write these down, I have a feeling some of what we're going to share might represent some of your sentiments, and some of what I'm going to share is going to make some of you uncomfortable, and I'm all right with that if, you, if you're all right with it. First objection is, is this, Dan, and I hear this, isn't that arrogant? <laughs> I mean, it sounds arrogant, like we got the one way, the only way, come on, you know? I mean, it's arrogant to say one religion is superior to another Let's start, before we jump into this, let's start just by recognizing this isn't unique with Christianity. Like all the major religions would claim they have the way to God. And, and, and they wouldn't assume that they're right and other people are right because they can't all be right. For instance, Judaism would say Jesus is not the Messiah. Christianity would say he is. That, that, like they're not even close. Hinduism says there's many manifestations of God. Christianity says he came in the person of Jesus. Islam believes the Quran is the Holy Scriptures. Christianity believes the Bible. And so let's just at least say that so that we can with intellectual integrity say, okay, they can't all be right because they, they disagree. Which leads to the second thing that I hear, and that's this. And, and if you're a high school student, young adult, I really want you to lean in now because I think this is the prevailing attitude. Well, maybe it's not that they're all right in everything they think, but now listen close. Maybe it's they all have part of the truth that belongs to a bigger truth. So, so maybe it's like they all have part of the truth. And what they'll use is a story that I'm finding out many haven't heard. I thought it was more well-known than it is, but it's a, it's a little proverb that came out of India. Here's the way it goes. It says, three blind men like stumbled upon an elephant. And so they can't see, and as they stumbled upon the elephant, they were called upon to give the truth of, well, what's an elephant like? And one stumbled upon the trunk of the elephant. He's like, it's a long, snake-like creature. Another of the blind men, he stumbled across the side of the elephant. He said, no, 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 elephants are like a big, thick wall. The third's like, what? He stumbled on the leg of the elephant. He's like, it's more like a big old tree trunk. And so the proverb is told to say, well, they all had a part of the truth that belonged to the bigger truth, right? Look here a second. Let's just be intellectually honest. It kind of makes sense. It's like, well, that kind of makes sense. Until you really stop and think about the arrogance that it takes to make the statement. Because in order for me, stay with me, go here with me. I'll bring you back up in a second. In order for someone to make the statement that you only have part of the truth when it comes to the elephant, that means somebody has to see the whole elephant, to be able to evaluate, you only got part of the truth. And it's actually more arrogant for me to say, I think they only got part of the truth because the truth is actually bigger than what they got. You see, it's a, we, we just got to run into this thing. And here's what I think. Here's what I think. I don't think, please, wherever you're at, whatever your conclusions are, whatever faith you follow, hear me out on this. I don't think it's a matter of arrogance and pride as much as it's, an, it, it, it's more about accuracy. And here's what I would write down. If it's accurate, it's not arrogant. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is this. I want you to, I, I want you to think about this. I told you a couple weeks ago I was a math major in college, and whereas calculus kind of stumped me, uh, when I was in middle school and high school, I did really well in math, Right? And so in middle school, somewhere that, you know, you're really, maybe it's before then, you're really jumping into your multiplication table, right? 
And imagine this scene with me, okay? Stay with me. It's a dumb example, but it makes the point. Imagine me sitting in math class. Better yet, I want to change the illustration. Imagine me being the teacher in math class, okay? And I ask you the question, what is seven times five? What's seven times five? Imagine Pastor Greg, I see him back here. He's the first to raise his hand. I know the answer. I'm like, Greg, good boy. What's the answer? And imagine he with enthusiasm and passion and conviction says, Dan, the answer's 42. Some of, there wasn't enough laughter because some were like, is it? <laughs> it's not, <laughs> okay? <laughs> uh, but anyways, imagine that's what he says, and he's got passion, he's got conviction. I look at Greg, I'm like, man, I love your enthusiasm, buddy. You know, I love your passion and conviction, but it's not 42. It's 35. Imagine if he looked at me and says, it might be 35 to you, but it's 42 to me. Right? I mean, it's, you're loud because it's like, what? That seems crazy. Like, why? Because he could look at me and say, you know, I think it's arrogant. You as the teacher would say it's 35, and that's all it is. And I'm like, it's not arrogant. It's, it's accurate. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not trying to be cocky. It's just accurate. Like, it's not a matter of, of, of arrogance. It's a matter of, is it accurate? You see, here's what. We live in an interesting time. I came across this, this little quote by a guy named G.K. Chesterton, and he talks about something. Just listen to this. This is so profound to me. We live in a time where there's this dislocation of humility. Listen close. In the old days, some of you are like, I'm old enough to remember the old days. Don't raise your hand. In the old days, we were taught, listen close, to be doubtful about ourselves and sure about our facts. Nowadays, we're taught to be sure of ourselves and to be doubtful about facts. I think it's true. And so the prevailing thought is, well, if it's real and true to me, if it's right for me, if it has meaning for me, and it's all about me, 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 me. Why? Because I'm sure of me. And so I'll gauge whether something is true, if it's right for me, if it's true for me. Listen, 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 listen. It really doesn't matter what's true for you. I know, so I'm going to get an email, send them to Pastor Aiden at Grace Church. Okay, <clears throat> he loves it. it. Okay, he wants it, but it doesn't matter if it's true for you. Go ahead and write that down. It doesn't matter. I'm okay if you do, even if you disagree with it. You know what matters? If it's true. And then I have to ask, okay, if that's true, then what's the implications for me? Those are two totally different things. See, one is saying, you know, 42 is true for you, 53 is true for you, 35 was true for you, but that's, you know. But what matters if 35 is the answer, dude, on the test, I'd write 35. See how that works? Look look here, look here. I got to do this. I got to do this. Those of you who are Christians, Christ followers, can I just talk to you and and let, if you're not, I'm so glad you're here. Just listen in because I... I just want to have a pastoral moment of people who would say I'm a Christ follower. That kind of thinking has wafted into, you ready, the way many of us read our Bible. You're saying, what are you talking about? Well, we go to a Bible study group, 
and the leader says, they read a passage of scripture, and then here's the technique. So what's that mean to you? I know. Like I said, emails to Aiden. <laughs> right? But here's the deal. When, when that's the way I read the Bible, you know, some of you are like, man, that's when the Bible study gets good. Because Aunt Mabel, man, she got like, this is what it means to me, and she's going on and on. I'm going to tell you something. It really doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means. It matters what it means. And then when I realize what it means, then I ask myself, what are the implications for me? You see how that is? Those are two tro- totally drastically different things. So if it's, if it's accurate, it's not arrogant. But when I really understand the, the essence of the gospel message, I've got to write this down. When I really get down to the, to the brass tacks of it, it's a very humbling message anyways. When I understand the gospel message, it stands in stark contrast to religion. Religion says, yeah, I can climb my way to God with a little moral superiority, wisdom, whatever it is, try harder. The gospel says, yeah, you can't. Like you're helpless. You're desperate. And the only thing you can do is throw yourself on the grace and mercy of the kindness of a God who came and died in your place. Look here a sec. Where's the pride in that? Look at me. I couldn't help myself. (laughs) I'm lost. I'm dirty. And I needed God to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I like how Titus puts it. When the kindness and love of God our Savior, God is kind and loves you, by the way. When it appeared, he saved us. Not because we were really, really good people. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You see, when I understand the message of Christianity, it's anything but prideful. It's a a humbling message. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I can't earn it. I can't work for it. But God in his grace makes it available. Truth be told. Ready? I need you to lean in. Truth be told. The accusation of arrogance levied against Christians is justified. Because sometimes Christians communicate this humbling, grace-filled message in a way that is arrogant and angry. And some of you in this room are like, yep, that's my problem because somebody's yelled at me ever since I was a kid. You better turn or you're going to burn, right? It's like, right? Listen, look here. If, if you're here... And that's your experience, okay? I am sorry. Like, I am so sorry that that's your experience. And if you're here and that's your message that you've been communicating, stop it. <laughs> like, it doesn't help. And it doesn't work. I want you to write this down. Somehow, its delivery should reflect its content. Its delivery should reflect its content. Sometimes our delivery, the way we deliver the message doesn't match the grace-filled, humble message that we have to deliver. I was listening to a guy, some of you have heard his name, Alistair Begg. He's got this great accent and this and everything. And he was sharing this story. He's from Great Britain. And he said when people from his country would go to places where they spoke a different language, Germany and France, I don't know this, but he was saying this. He said they don't bother to learn their language. 
They just go and demand that they understand them. And he said the way they do that is they just keep repeating what it is they want them to understand. And every time they repeat it, they get louder and louder and louder. Like if I'm louder, you might start understanding me, right? And by the end, they're like yelling at somebody in a foreign language and saying, why don't you understand me? And sometimes that's the way the gospel comes out of Christians' mouths. It's like, if I just yell it, give another verse, maybe they'll start. And, and, and I've shared this all three services, but I hang out with young adults every Sunday night. If you're a young adult, come to my house tonight, 7 o'clock. I'd love to meet you. But here's what I would say. If you were to hang out with young adults, you'll find this, that that if you took that message, turn or burn, and you begin, they'd look at you like you're crazy. Like, man, dude, you need to check yourself in. And they will click you off now. It doesn't work and it doesn't reflect the message. I like what Paul says in Colossians. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Pastor Peter says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Look here a second. You got to know what the message is. Be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Your life probably ought to beg a question. Right? Like, does my life beg a question? Is anybody saying, hey, what's up with that? But when you do, look at this. Do this, say it out loud with me, with gentleness and respect. Let me just say it this way. When you yell at people, you don't reflect grace, gentleness, and respect. Can I say this? When you ridicule people of other faiths, you don't reflect gentleness, respect, grace. I already know what some of you are thinking because I'm way ahead of you on this. Some of you are like, is he acquiescing? Is he like giving in? The furthest from it. I believe Jesus is the way. I believe that the gospel is unique, that Jesus said, those who come to me, I am the way. But I want you to write this down. Okay, this is worth writing down. I can be convicted of that and kind at the same time. I can be convicted and kind. I can believe I'm right and still be respectful. Somehow the delivery's got to match the content. Those of you in the room who've been yelled at, I'm sorry, and I wish that wasn't your experience, and I hope you'll, you'll keep coming and be part of this conversation. I mean that. I mean that. I have fascinating conversations with people who aren't followers of Christ. You're welcome here. You're welcome here on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, to, be, to, to hear a conversation. We believe the message I shared of Christianity Make no bones about that. <laughs> Second question it begs is this. Does it, doesn't this message of Christianity promote intolerance? It's a good question. We live in a world where tolerance is king, right? And we live in a world where we cry foul at the smell of intolerance. In fact, we have bumper sticker, you know, like coexist. Can't we all just get along and agree? Everybody? You know, you get it. And if you got that bumper sticker, you know, but... <laughs> I'm like, I've got to get a new, anyways. Today, the understanding of tolerance is simply this. Stay with me on this. Let's just think intellectually about this. Today, the understanding of tolerance is simply to accept every viewpoint as equally valid and equally true. 
Say it again. Today, the understanding of tolerance is we're going to accept every viewpoint as equally valid and equally true. Now, let's just dissect this. If that's what it means to be tolerant, look here a second. Confession time. I am the most intolerant parent on planet Earth. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm looking at some back here. Because here's the deal. My kids had all kinds of viewpoints growing up. They had all kinds of opinions growing up. Hey, Dad, I think, nope. Hey, can we? Nope. I think we ought to buy, nope. Right? You know what I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah, thanks for sharing, but no. Right? And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. That seems, but let's put it in the big people world. Are we really to believe that every viewpoint is equally valid and equally true? Do we really believe that those who would think their race is supreme and every other race is inferior and ought to be extinguished, that that is a true and valid viewpoint? If that's what tolerance is, we're in deep weeds. You see, here's where we've got to start. I want you to write this down. We need to rescue tolerance. What do you mean by that? Well, tolerance is not that I have to believe and accept everyone's opinion as equally valid and right. That's not even what the word means. Here's what it means to be tolerant. It's the ability or willingness to tolerate the existence of opinions or behaviors that one dislikes or disagrees with. Tolerance is the, the ability to say, I believe your position is wrong. But I can do that with kindness, respect, and I can even sit and listen to how you came to your position. Those are two different things. Those are two different things. So this is the question I get asked. Well, Dan, if you really believe what you're saying, the message of Christianity, listen close. This is really so important. Doesn't that produce an attitude of superiority that leads to dangerous places? I want you to write this down. I say no. I say instead, it promotes sacrifice and serving instead of superiority. Let me, let me flesh it out this way. In the Greco-Roman world, you can forget that, but first century world, there was this pluralistic understanding, so let's just welcome all the gods and all the faiths and this, that, and the other thing, right? Pantheon. But when you study Greco-Roman history and the culture, here's what you find. There was this Huge chasm between the rich and the poor. Rich had nothing to do with poor. They abused the poor. There was this huge chasm between young and old. Sometimes children were trash. There was this huge chasm between men and women. Women were abused, were property. When you came over here in the same culture and looked at Christianity, this 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 belief system that said there's one way, there's one God, and one mediator to that God, Jesus Christ, you found the direct opposite. You found people who were not just tolerant of those who were poor, but helping those who were poor, listen close, and even those who were poor that weren't of their faith. You found them welcoming the young, and you found women elevated because they were honored. You found an openness in this exclusivity. Why? Listen close. Listen close. Well, why would a belief system that's so exclusive promote openness and a belief system that's so open produce exclusivity? Here's why. Because at the very core of Christianity, 
listen close, is a man on a cross dying for his enemy, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, Christianity would do anything but produce superiority and arrogance. And if that's what it's produced in you, then you don't quite understand the message of Christianity. Because the message of Christianity is not have anything to do with my moral superiority. In fact, can I just tell you something, and this has kind of baffled people all, all day, but you might be hearing a Christ follower. This explains why you meet people who aren't Christians, listen close, and they actually are better people than you. I asked this last service, and they all lied to me. How many have ever met somebody, they're not a Christian, and they're actually a better person than you, right? All right, some of you are lying, some of you are right? I have. I'm like, I meet these guys, I'm like, Wow, you're like a better dad than me. You're like a much nicer husband than I am. You're like a, a, a more thoughtful customer than I would be, right? You see, you might meet people that are morally superior, but here's what Christ, Christianity is not based on moral superiority. That's not how I get to God. But Christianity, stay with me on this, is based on a sacrifice. It's God serving and sacrificing in my place. And so therefore, when I understand that, it ignites serving and sacrifice from those who truly embrace its message. Which that's why it breaks my heart when I see stories on the TV of people who in the name of Christ just scream and yell at people who have differing opinions. It doesn't reflect at all the message doesn't mean we can't be convicted I think in those cases we need to repent of our intolerance you know I think in those cases we need to recognize that our response in no way is consistent with the gospel that we claim so does it promote intolerance is it arrogant there's the last thing and I need to race through this and so Andy if you'll hang with me in the back I'm going to fly okay but the third question is this. Doesn't this divide people? Doesn't the gospel create an us versus them, build walls instead of build bridges? Doesn't it create hostility, a fundamentalism? Doesn't it create this elitism that causes, listen close, people to fly their planes into buildings? Isn't religion divisive? And I would say that's what makes the gospel different than other major religions because in this unique, unusual way, it creates peace and unity. The gospel is the only message I know that has the power to create this fraternity of peace among people, listen close, who otherwise would have nothing to do with each other and even be hostile to each other. Because listen to this, it's at the foot of the cross, we have equal footing. Whether you're churched, never been to church, whether you're a moral person, or an immoral person, whether you're black or you're white, rich, poor, blue collar, white collar, educated, uneducated, young, old, Republican, Democrat. There's equal footing at the cross. There isn't a hierarchy at the cross. And so it's only the gospel that, that creates this unusual fraternity of peace where Republicans and Democrats can talk to each other. Go figure. 
Where, where, where Americans and people from other nationalities can talk to each other. Go figure. Where, where rich and poor can come together, where young and old can be smashed together. Why? Because at it, the it, it's it's cross, it's the only thing I know that has the power to produce that. And then this message of Christianity is a message that leads to this beautiful diversity. It leads to a beautiful diversity because when you tease this thing out and get to the very end of God's story, you find in Revelation 7 this, I saw a great crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Guys, look here, that's a picture of heaven, that, that just as there's equal footing around the cross and all kinds of people, the people who come to the cross and say yes to Jesus will find themselves around the throne in heaven. Look, look here, I just, heaven is this beautiful picture of diversity. If you struggle, if you struggle with people from different nationalities, you're going to have a hard time with heaven. If, if you struggle with people in different economic classes, you're going to have a hard time with heaven. If you struggle with the opposite gender, you're going to have a hard time with heaven. If you can't stand people from the other political party, you can't even listen to what they have to say, you're going to struggle with heaven. It's this beautiful picture of diversity, this mosaic of every tribe, every nation. It's me standing beside my Mexican brother, my Iranian sister, my Korean friends. That's, that's the message of the gospel. Wow. And so those who come to the cross find themselves at the throne And it's the most exclusive, unique, inclusive message on the planet. It's one that's grace-filled. It's humbling. But it's a message that says, I am the way, and those who come to me find a fraternity of peace where there normally is hostility and walls. What a powerful picture. Can I just ask you a couple questions, then I'm done. Don't you put your stuff away. I don't want to lose you. You might be sitting here and like, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm not a Christian. I'm glad you're here. I mean it. I am thrilled beyond belief that you're here. I hope you'll keep coming. And you're like, you know, Dan, I, I doubt everything you said today, all that stuff about Jesus and whatever. And it's like, I appreciate your honesty with that, but can I ask you to be honest about something? Like, I'm, that, I'm okay, but will you do me a favor and not just doubt what I said, but will you doubt your doubt? Because if you'll look underneath your doubt, here's what you'll find. It's not enough just to doubt what the bold preacher said today. But when I doubt my doubt, I find that my ladder of my life is leaning against something. So what's the ladder of your life leaning against today? Like you're trusting something. You're like, I doubt all that Jesus stuff. Okay, then when you doubt your doubt, what are you leaning the ladder of your life against? Because it's something. And you begin to discover your faith then. And every last one of us in this room were people of faith. All of us are trusting something. 
Some of you are not Christ followers because you came in here and you had a picture of God like he's waiting to whap me, like, like he's mean and, and, and I'm not good. Like some of you are like, I'm not a Christ follower because I'm too bad. And, and, and you're saying, I'm not worthy, and you're not. And you're saying, I'm not good enough, and you're not. And you're saying, I haven't done enough, and you can't, and you won't. That's the beauty of the gospel. You never will. God made his way to us, and Jesus died in our place. And so regardless, if you're a moral person, immoral, churched, unchurched, rich, poor, whatever this morning... Jesus said, whosoever will can come and say yes to me. The message is open for all. Some of you are here and you're Christ followers. Can I just talk to you and then I want to pray and I'm going to dismiss you actually. Some of you are Christ followers and the truth is you feel this unbelievable pressure to make the gospel message palatable in our culture. To water it down, it's just like, ooh, I don't know. I don't want anybody to be upset with it. Can I tell you, can I say this? The minute I water down the gospel, I take away its power. Like, there's no need to do that. Why would I do that? The minute I water it down, oh, you know, it really doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. It's like, I take away its power. But there's others of us in the room, we're Christ followers, like, no, Dan, I believe the message of the gospel and I tell everybody I come into contact with, man. And it's like, and sometimes your delivery maybe doesn't match the content. I had a lady after first service, she said, I'm so passionate about this, she said, I kind of argue with everybody I know who doesn't know Jesus. And she said this to me, she said, actually, nobody responds to me. And she said, I didn't know why until this morning. I'm not saying you shouldn't be convicted. I'm con- I'd take a bullet in the head for that message. Convicted. But I can sit and have a conversation with somebody who believes differently. See, here's the deal. Peter said, you gotta know what the message of the gospel is. Be ready to give an answer. Make sure your life is begging a question that they even ask the question. But when you do, gentleness and respect. And so, God, good conversation for us to lean into. Some of my friends in this room that are here are not Christ followers, and I'm so glad they're here. I pray that at least this morning would cause them to think about their life and their faith in a new and unique way, and that you'd use this conversation, the honesty of it, just to take them further in trying to find what it is they're leaning the ladder of their life on. Some are sitting here and they didn't think they were invited. I pray this morning's message would let them know that it doesn't matter who they are, rich, poor, white collar, blue collar, what, what political party, what, that they're invited to the cross where Jesus died in their place. And they can say yes to Jesus this moment there in their seat. Invite him to be their Savior and Lord. And there's others of us who are Christ followers, and yet the truth is, the truth is, for whatever reason, we've been communicating this message not at all, or maybe in some cases with anger and arrogance. Please forgive us. 
and help us to be those who demonstrate the contents of this message with grace, respect, and gentleness. I pray this in Jesus' name.